the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, college lacrosse fans? You're watching episode number 273 of the Lax Factor Podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we're going to dive into a bunch of the games that will be played between Friday and Saturday. I'll touch on and make predictions for just about every game. Uh, but we're going to talk in more in depth about a, a handful here, starting with Syracuse and Manhattan. Before I get into that, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, share the crap out of the podcast with your friends. That is the main and really the only thing I ask. If you want to go above and beyond and support my efforts here, you can always go to laxfactor.com. You can buy swag. We have a new beer mug, uh, T-shirts, all sorts of crap like that. You can just watch the videos through there and just be a patron of the site in general. Um, but like I said, the main thing, just like, subscribe if you're on YouTube, share the crap out of the video if you're or the video or the audio version, whichever you're listening to, uh, if you're out there in podcast land. And uh, that's it. I'm going to shut up and we're going to dive into this weekend's games, starting with, let's move this back here. And then we're going to start with uh, Syracuse and Manhattan. This will be Manhattan's uh, first contest and number nine Syracuse is already 2-0. and with wins over Vermont and Colgate, respectively. Now, I don't suspect this one's going to be all that close, so we're we're not going to dive deep into it or dissect it. Syracuse looked good against a Colgate team that upset upset number four Penn State on the road in their first contest, and there was a stretch where the Orange looked a bit rough, and that allowed Colgate to hang around through the first two quarters of the game. But by the end of the third, the route was on, and the game was over. Uh, Cuse's faceoff unit, the double-headed dragon of Mason Cone and John. Mullen. Cone is 33 of 46 so far this season, 72%. Mullen is 12 of 16, 75%. They have been outstanding. Now, I feel like watching the games, it actually felt to me like Mullen has gotten more runs than that. But either way, it's good to have both of their faceoff guys right now winning at a high rate. Now, granted, that has been against some subpar competition in terms of what Vermont and Colgate put out there at the faceoff dot. But regardless, to see Syracuse waxing teams and dominating the dot is very good for Syracuse fans and for the Syracuse Orange themselves. I don't expect Man- Manhattan's going to present a problem at the dot either. Uh, so Cuse is going to roll there as well. Luke Weirman and Maryland are looming after Manhattan, but we got to get through Friday's game against Manhattan first. Uh, my prediction on this one, Cuse is going to roll by 10. I don't like them. At, uh, at minus 12 and a half as 12 and a half goal favorites. Um, they stole Manhattan's defensive coordinator. I'm not sure they'll try to beat the Jaspers up by 13 or more, even if they could. I'm not 100% sure that Syracuse is actually 13 goals better than them once you start getting people into the rotation and trying to, to play some guys and all that crap. However, I think the Orange, uh, it's them playing their third game blah, 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 and Manhattan only playing their second. I am going to say if I had to take this bet, I would end up taking Cuse to cover, but I would feel terrible about it, and I'm in New York, so I don't have to bet it. But either way, Cuse is going to win by 10-plus, if they whether they win by 12-and-a-half or not, whether they hit that 13-goal mark. I'm hairy on that, but I'd take it just because it's their last tune-up game before they have Maryland coming into the Dome next weekend. Uh, We're going to move on from this one, and we are going to next talk about Georgetown and Johns Hopkins. Now, Hopkins picked uh, picked themselves up a quiet win on Tuesday against Towson. The only reason, or the only issue I have uh, is they allowed the Tigers to linger a little bit more than I expected after losing to Denver. I thought Hopkins was going to come out and just absolutely trounce Towson, and uh, it wasn't that. It was actually kind of a flip of what we saw in the Denver game. In the Denver game, we saw Hopkins come out and just rage 
to a lead that they eventually gave up and lost the game in the Towson game. It was the flip. They struggled early. I believe it was only a two-goal lead at the half before they finally, you know, got things rolling. And and really what they got rolling was defensively they clamped down, got stops, and then that turned into a, what was it, a six-goal run over the course of the third and fourth quarter. Uh, Towson scored with 6.26 left in the third, and then they never scored again the rest of the game here. Now, the Jays' offense heated up during that stretch. They bang out six unanswered, as I said, including three strikes from newcomer Hunter Chavette. The veteran attackmen uh, all all assisted. Each of the three veteran attackmen for Hopkins all assisted one of Chavette's goals over that stress stretch. And Jealous uh, assisted the first. Degnan had his second, and Melendez had his third. It was a man-up goal here. Uh, so if Hopkins shows up, and, and hell, hell yeah, great, uh, great story here out of Chauvet. I see that everybody on Twitter is getting all excited about him, um, especially Diggs is really excited about him. So that's pretty awesome for him. Uh, if Hopkins shows up and plays a full game on Saturday against the Hoyas, I'm supposed to be talking about Hopkins-Georgetown here, and I haven't yet. Uh, if they can show up and play a full game against Georgetown, they could route Georgetown in a manner similar to what Loyola did. The problem is Hopkins hasn't done that yet, and they haven't played all four quarters. Uh, if they don't play all four quarters, I, I like Georgetown's chance, chances to hang in this game and to make things interesting. On the Georgetown side, their new-look defense, they gave up 13 goals and five assists to Loyola's veteran attack. Veteran attack in the terms of uh, they have two veterans and Minicus being the young guy here. But either way, uh, they only got eight saves on top of it with 18 goals against from Anderson Moore and Cage. They turned the ball over 17 times and only forced four turnovers of their own. This is a completely different thing that we've seen out of Georgetown in terms of their defense and their goalkeeper. We've got a unproven goalkeeper, a completely unproven defense, and thus far, not even unproven. They've been proven that they're not very good yet. So it'll be interesting to see how they do against a Hopkins offense that, by all accounts on paper, should be ripping people to shreds. So far, they haven't done that, but let's not pretend like they're not capable of doing that here. So um, they got five goals out of Jordan Ray against Loyola, so that's good. Um, the problem is that TJ Haley and Alexander Vardaro, two of their top midfielders, combined to shoot two of 11. Uh, now, in fairness to Haley, I think Haley only ended up having three shots and scored one goal, so he was 33%. Vardaro was the one that was one of eight shooting at 13%. But those are their two big midfield uh, con contributors uh, in theory, so for them to not play well against Loyola, that hurt as well. So the Hoyas have a lot to figure out. My prediction for this one, I like Hopkins to cover as a 1.5 goal, as a 1.5, as a one-and-a-half goal favorite. I, I, I believe that Hopkins, if they put even three quarters together, they should be able to win this game by three or four. Uh, if they put four quarters together, I think the route was on, and I'm looking at like a six-to-eight goal spread in this one. But uh, if Hopkins just shows up and plays like they've been playing, mediocre lacrosse, I think they can still eke out a two-goal win against the Georgetown team unless Georgetown really shows up and has their defensive woes figured out. So we'll see how that plays out. Next game we have to talk about here, Virginia and Michigan. Now, hey, someone did mention you need an ad blocker. I have an ad blocker installed, and the, the, it doesn't get rid of these, uh, uh, what do you call it, unobtrusive ads, apparently, so it just doesn't work all the time here. But uh, either way, we're going to – both these teams, first game for both of them, Virginia and Michigan. Now, with Virginia, you know what you're going to get 
Connor Schellenberger is going to quarterback the offense. Peyton Cormier is going to play opposite of every player on the field that's dodging. And when he gets his looks, he's going to bury them at a very high rate. Doesn't matter if he's dancing on the crease or sniping from the left wing that he loves so much. Cormier, he's going to be good for four goals in this game, I I believe. You know, I feel like Cormier, if I went back and looked, tends to have big first games here in terms of the goal scoring. It's partly because off-ball defense is still figuring shit out, and he's definitely an off-ball attackman. Now, offensively, they have depth, and they will score goals. Griffin Schutz is back. Patrick McIntosh is back. And Truett, Truett Sunderland all put up solid points a season ago, um, and they'll all be looked on, looked upon to contribute again. Freshman McCabe Millen, he's going to factor a ton, as will Tufts transfer Jack Boyden. Both legit demons. They're going to be leaned on heavily to replace some of the point production that was lost. Uh, uh, Dixon and McConvie, we, they, you know, Virginia loses their points. Uh, uh, they lose some other guys, too. Uh, Connor. But uh, anyway, it looks like Millen might get the started attack from what I'm reading here around the interwebs, and Boyden will be playing midfield, but we'll wait and see what happens there because, you know, you just can't. Boyden's a, a veteran. Uh, what is he, a fifth year player? Maybe even a sixth year player at the D3 level. Who knows here? But those two guys are going to fact, they're going to be all over the screen here come Saturday, and Michigan's going to have problems with them. Now, defensively, for Virginia, no more Cade Sawstead or Quentin Matsui. Uh, Cole Kastner isn't too bad, though. Mitchell Wayland is good. SSDM, Noah Chismar, Matthew Nunes has already endured two full seasons in the ACC, and he came out of those two seasons with a 51.5% save percentage. So uh, you got veterans in front of him. I expect the defense to be good. I expect that we're going to see Nunes put up somewhere in the area of a 52% or maybe a little higher save percentage on the season. The one problem and the one big question mark for Virginia, no more PD fucking LaSala at the faceoff dot. And I believe I am going to have to give the fucking moniker to some other face-off man here, but I'm not just going to dole that out all willy-nilly, and we're going to wait to see who who deserves it after, by the end of this second week, we'll see what happens. Maybe I'll even wait until the third week, uh, until like that weekend of Cuse, Maryland, you know, to let all these teams play, and we'll see who deserves the moniker of, uh, you know, first name, fucking last name, but right now, Virginia has no PD fucking LaSala, so who's it going to be? I've heard Gable Braun, who's backed up LaSala, could be the guy that's getting the, the bulk of the runs here now. Uh, they got the uh, Gobriel, who transferred in from Navy. I think that's how you pronounce that. He was number 12 nationally a year ago, uh, winning 60.5% of his draws. He also broke Navy's single-season faceoff wins total uh, of 191. So who's going to take the draws? I don't know because I'm not a Virginia lacrosse insider. I'm not an insider for really anybody for that matter here. Uh, Braun's only 47% over his run uh, with UVA, uh, but sometimes all it takes is opportunity. So we'll, there's a big question mark at the faceoff dot, and Michigan, that is not the case. Michigan comes in here with one of the best faceoff units uh, in the country from a season ago. I believe they have them both back, uh, but if they don't, they at least have Wheatfeld uh, there facing off, and he's filthy here. Um, Michigan also gets back one of the best attackmen in the country, and Michael Bame. He dropped 45 goals with 28 helpers and shot 45.5% a season ago, but they do lose Josh Zawada to Duke. You cannot replace Zawada. Yes, Bame was their leading scorer last year, but Zawada traditionally was before that, and I think Zawada, a lot of teams had to key on Zawada to a certain degree. They played him all over the field, and Bame was able to play against that and score a bunch of goals as you know to a degree the second option. 
or even if he wasn't the second option and he became the first option, you still had a very viable second option that teams had to pay attention to. So who's going to be that new guy at Michigan is the question. And Zawada just tore it up in Duke's first game as their leading scorer in their first outing. Uh, The returning scoring depth is my issue with Michigan. It's not great, uh, but they did pick up Christian Ronda and Bo Peterson from Princeton. Peterson, traditionally a defensive midfielder that can mix it up and score goals and get up and down the field. Christian Ronda, a, a very good offensive midfielder. They're going to have to pick up the slack at those two positions, and depending on how well they mix in right from the bat, that's going to depend on how good – that'll kind of give us how good Michigan is here right off the bat in this very first game. Uh, Like I said, Whitfield should give uh, Michigan an edge at the faceoff dot, but I do not see the Wolverines' defense holding up too well against this Virginia offense. I think their only saving grace may be rust – out of Virginia in terms of them, you know, coming out and playing their first game this weekend. Uh, Maybe the fact that Virginia had to watch almost everybody play last weekend will help in terms of kind of making them a little bit too, too excitable coming out uh, at the beginning, allowing Michigan to hang. But my prediction, Michigan will hang a little bit. I think Virginia is going to slow roll this to a big win. Uh, they haven't fallen too far, although, like I said, Zawada is going to be sorely missed. A lot of people are still hyped on Michigan, though, because of BAME and company. So I like UVA to cover the spread in this one, uh, but these early games are tough to call. So I'm just going to go. I know UVA is going to win. I know they're going to win by a margin. Uh, I don't even have what the spread was in front of me. What were they calling? Four and a half goals or something like that. I think UVA should cover. Uh, but, you know, either way, that's that one. I'll be watching that one, though. That one will be interesting. What time was that one on? I presume that starts at noon. Yep, noon on Saturday that one starts. Next game we are going to talk about here. Let me just make sure I have audio and shit. I do. Whew. Hate it when you get, like, you know, 13 minutes in and you're not sure if you're even recording your audio. We're going to talk about Loyola and number 6 Maryland. Like I said, Loyola beat down Georgetown last weekend while Maryland needed OT to take down Richmond. Two very different outcomes. Now, Loyola... They rode their starting attack unit to that win. Evan James was five and four. Adam Poitras was four and one, and Matthew Minicus was four goal had four goals. They took advantage of uh, Georgetown's inexperienced defense and their goaltender, and they ran roughshod all over uh, um, um, Georgetown like crazy. Now they're going to have a much different foe in Maryland this weekend. The Terps' defense is expected to be one of the best in the nation. They didn't look great at all times against Richmond, but Richmond is a scrappy team that comes into the season as prepared as anyone. Um, so, you know, you can't front on on their, their foe in this one here. But the Terps' defense is going to be one of the best. Ajax Zapatello, he forced two turnovers, picked up a GB, and scored a goal for the Terps in their win. Uh, over Richmond. Uh, Colin Berlace, he forced two turnovers. Uh, LSM Jack McDonald forced three. Logan McNaney's back in cage. Uh, He had 13 stops against the Spiders. That was good for 54% between the pipes. Now Luke Stout on the other side for Loyola in cage, also very good. He had 11 saves, 52% here. So both teams... Are, are are looking solid on defense, albeit Maryland. I like their keeper better. I like their defensive personnel a lot better overall. So definite edge to Maryland on the defensive side. Now, for once, I actually like Loyola's attack better than the Maryland group. Now, that's not to say that as the season plays out, the Maryland group, you know, they could definitely prove themselves. Braden Irksa is filthy. Having Malover back is huge. You got Maltz. You got all sorts of guys that can run all over the field for Maryland. But James Poitras and uh, Minicus, very capable attackmen. Now, beyond that, the problem is Loyola's scoring depth doesn't go necessarily as deeply as Maryland's does, obviously. Uh, But I think Loyola's going to be able to score enough goals in this game to keep it interesting, even with Maryland's defense. Now, here's 
the deal breaker. And this is where the game is going to be. It's either going to be close or not. And I think it will be based heavily on this one area. And that is the uh, the uh, matchup at the faceoff dot. Luke Weirman has a huge edge here. And if he has his way in this game to the tune of, let's say, 60%, that's going to make things very difficult for Loyola. And it's going to put them in a situation where their offense just has to be super efficient or their defense is going to have to pick up stops that they normally maybe you wouldn't expect them to pick up here. So I think that's going to play heavily in this one. Uh, prediction. I think Weirman's going to have a big day, uh, as will the Maryland defense here. They, you know, they didn't want to go into overtime against Richmond. They would have liked to have win that, won that game by three, five, six goals or something like that. So is that, does the Maryland defense take that as a loss? Do they take that on the, on the chin as a loss? I don't know, but I think they're going to slow burn this one to a four or five goal victory. And I think that the big key will be at the faceoff dot where, uh, what's his nuts here? Pacheco just isn't up to snuff against Luke Weirman. So I think that's how that'll play out. Next one we're going to talk about here is number 15 Rutgers going, traveling not too far uh, to play Stony Brook here. Now, Stony Brook just got by Sacred Heart 17-14 to on the road. Now they get to host Rutgers, who beat Lehigh a week ago by a slimmer margin, two goals here. Uh, Nick Dupuy, Dylan uh, Palanetti, and Jack Doherty all put up a solid game against Sacred Heart, but they're going to be facing a much better team in Rutgers overall. Uh, Ross Scott, Dante Coolis, and Shane Knobloch should end up being a bit too much for Stony Brook as I think that offensive depth and quality that uh, uh, Rutgers is going to bring to the table is going to win out in the end. <clears throat> Excuse me here. Uh, Cole Brams and Matt Suter, they both went 9 of 15, 60% for those who like math. Uh, both had six ground balls, four Rutgers. In their first game against Lehigh, they dominated the faceoff battle, and then Lehigh ends up losing that game. Rutgers wins it. Uh, I do not like what Stony Brooks is going to put on the table against those guys here. Chris Esposito, uh, he struggled against, uh, you know, once again, a subpar team uh, in, in terms of uh, Sacred Heart. So I think Rutgers is probably going to win the battle at the faceoff dot. They're probably a little bit better defensively. Offensively, I like their talent only a little bit better. I do like what Stony Brook is putting on the field offensively, and Palinetti is a true killer. But uh, I think Rutgers is going to win this one. I figure four to six goal margin is realistic by the game's end, but I would not be the least bit surprised to see uh, Stony Brook take this right down to the wire. They could even force overtime, um, so it depends. Now, I think if, if Rutgers dominates the faceoff dot, it could end up being eight goals even, but don't front on Stony Brook. They could keep this close. It just depends on how the faceoff battle plays out, and can Stony Brook score a bunch of goals? I think Rutgers coming into this season has more question marks on the defensive side than they traditionally do, so I think that could be Stony Brook's window, be really efficient on offense, erase maybe some of the losses that you take at the faceoff dot, get a couple stops on defense, and they can keep this game interesting, especially if they can find ways to score goals and do so early, put Rutgers on their heels, go from there. All right, next game, and now this is where I start flying blind, and I just start rambling here. We have Army against UMass. Now, traditionally, I feel like this is a really good game overall. The face-off battle, we got the Riz King here. Face-off battle should be interesting, albeit I think Army has the edge there as well. Uh, I like UMass being able to hang and keep this one close early on. Army's defense is going to be a lot better uh, than I think UMass's will be overall. They're going to have depth, and they're going to have the best defensive player on the field, but... UMass, you know, can they be scrappy at the faceoff dot with the, with the Riz King rocking? Yes. Offensively, they've proven over the years they can score goals, and they don't they don't fall too far off. UMass has been a consistently pretty solid team. 
Uh, so I'm going to go with Army in this one, and I think Army could win this game at, by anywhere from like three to six goals. Um, but UMass, you know, they're they're a scrappy team, and they traditionally play pretty well against big teams. Next one, High Point Duke. Not going to go into this a lot. Braden Maia at one point here. If I bring up my Lax Factor ratings. He was number one uh, for a little bit after the first weekend. And once again, I'm still not ready to pull these out. I do have a page up on the website, but I just haven't updated it, so it wasn't ready for this morning. But they will for sure be out come this weekend. I'll have them ready, updated. Right now, Rory Jones is leading the charge. Let me just pop this in here, and I will kind of show these to you because uh, I'm only just showing you the scores here. So as we see, so I lied. I am going to show you my, my lax factor player ratings. The Hofstra kids here, Jones and Rudd, uh, they tore it up in the first game and absolutely slaughtered uh, whoever the hell it was that they were playing. Let's get through here. Um, so as we see these guys uh, there at the top, Arthur Miller from New Jersey Tech had a big game as well. Um, so we have guys that put up a bunch of points in crappy games. This will even out and the cream of the crop that put those points up game in and game out, no matter who the competition is, will start rising to the top. Let me just make sure I have this sorted too. Uh, let's see. Okay, there we go. So as we see, um, Evan James, the Loyola, right up here at the top. He had a hell of a game. Five goals, four assists, shot the ball well. Zawada went three and five. Angelus, six and four over two games. Silstrop in his six-goal game had him up here towards the top as well. So like I said, but Braden Maia for high point. That was my point of even bringing this up. He's hanging out here right now at, what, 14th? Uh, Ryan, uh, Joey Spelina right down below him after two games. So like I said, these guys, this, this will change drastically. Just like computer power rankings, the more data you get, the better everything ends up being. One of the reasons these guys have kind of jumped and are hanging out a little bit higher is uh, because they contributed in terms of ground balls. Ground balls at this stage before everyone starts contributing to that stat, they end up weighing a little bit too much. Uh, in this and then anything you can do in special teams in terms of game winners up down one thing is game winners are very weird the way that it works so I'm not sure I like that metric I'm going to include it because once the season wears on it doesn't end up playing as much as it does right now but those all factor in as well here so overall interesting to see though and Braden Maia he, he's doing pretty well let me go back out of here. Uh, but uh, Josh Duwada, Brennan O'Neill, Dyson Williams, those three, they're absolute killers. You got Denen. I mean, the Duke roster is, goes for days. We are not going to see one of these scenarios where High Point comes in and upsets Duke, or actually doesn't come in. Duke's traveling to play High Point. We're not going to see an update uh, on the, an upset on the road uh, against Duke. Uh, what we're going to see is Duke roll in this one. I figure they're probably going to win by 8 to 10 goals. Could be more. This is not the high point team that has an All-American goalkeeper, an All-American attackman. Maia is an All-American caliber attackman, but still, high point is not the the upset. Um, they're not captain upset anymore here. So I think Duke's going to roll in this one. I'm not even going to talk about it anymore uh, because it's not probably going to be an interesting outcome. Same thing with the North Carolina Mercer game. Uh, it will be Mercer's third contest, Carolina's first, but I fully expect Carolina to roll. Once again, eight goals, 12 goals, somewhere in that region should not be interesting, but it'll just be good to finally have every ACC team have a game under their belt, except for Notre Dame, who just doesn't play lacrosse anymore, uh, it would seem. 
And another one I wanted to talk about quick is just Colgate and Hobart. Colgate here coming out, playing the orange tough, at least for a half, upsetting number four Penn State. So they got to be feeling pretty damn good right now. And these upstate New York battles, just like battles, teams that are traveling through Baltimore or whatever, uh, these end up being big games, big rivalries. So that Hobart-Colgate game should be interesting. Hobart over the last three to five years has been a very good offensive team. Uh, and they can put up goals defensively in cage. Not always great. They're they're proficient at the faceoff dot. Colgate has just come out and played tough so far. So this one should be a very good battle to watch. If I didn't want to sit at home and watch college lacrosse all day, uh, I probably would go to this game uh, because it's not too far. Geneva isn't too far. Not far away from me, but. Alas, I'll stay home, watch it, and it'll just be one of the side things on my screen here as I watch. Probably a run four screens here uh, again come Saturday. Now we start diving into the other games that I don't really care about as much. Marquette, Lindwood. I mean, I'm going with Marquette, but who cares overall? I actually like Holy Cross. I, have a, I put a bet out on Holy Cross against UMass Lowell. Um, Jacksonville, Binghamton, that was another one that if I didn't want to stay at home and watch all these games that are all freaking at noon, that's right in my backyard. So there was a, a small part of me that actually wanted to go watch that game and see Jacksonville in person for the first time. But alas, I probably won't. Uh, so Jacksonville, I think will roll in that one. Binghamton keeps losing all American caliber midfielders to the big 10. Uh, Boston U, Vermont, I for sure like Boston U in that one. Boston U uh, played well. They just beat St. Joseph's. What was the final score? 14 to 10. Uh, their usual suspects, uh, Louis Perfetto, 4 and 3. Jake Cates, 5 and 0. Oh. Dalto, 3 and 1. Uh, so I like Boston U in this game because they are a veteran-laden team against a Vermont team that has to figure out everything out again. It's a face-off dot. Defensively, they're not as deep. Offensively, they don't have the killers they used to. So I definitely like Boston U to roll in that one. Providence Bryant, that should actually be a solid game. I think Providence has a solid squad here. They're 1-0 with their 12-6 win over Holy Cross. Bryant, always a good team. So that should be interesting. I don't even have a pick for that one. I'm going to go with Bryant with that one just because Bryant traditionally – Beats the teams that they need to beat. Uh, Bucknell, Marist, no idea. Uh, you know, I have no idea. I'm not even picking that one there. That should be a decent game, though. Ohio State, Cleveland State. Obviously, Ohio State's going to roll, hence me not talking about that one. They beat Utah in the first week. Cleveland State, though, aren't they coming off a win over VMI? So, hey, you know, 1-0 Cleveland State against 1-0 Ohio State here. It's going to be a big game for Cleveland State, I think, and they'll get up for it. Delaware is going to wax Lafayette, I believe. Lehigh, I think, should beat Fairfield. We talked Hopkins, Georgetown. Uh, LIU is going to beat Monmouth. That's just my prediction. Oh, yeah, Penn State Villanova. Didn't talk about it. I don't know how I didn't talk about that one. That one should have been talked about. Penn State, after losing to Colgate, what are they going to do to Villanova? Villanova should have a pretty, pretty good team here in 2024. 10-5 a season ago. They beat Penn State a season ago. So what will Villanova do now? You know, is Penn State going to come out hungry, beat Villanova? I actually kind of like Villanova in this one, at least to cover the spread overall. But it should be a good game, and uh, Penn State's going to need to pick up a win here. If Penn State drops their first two games of the season to non-conference foes, it, that... You don't want to say their season's over after losing their first two games, but you would have to say that if Villanova beats them, then we're not probably looking at a team in Penn State that's gelling quite as well as they were a season ago en route to the Final Four. Uh, Richmond. I think Richmond will take down Robert Morris. I think that VMI will take down Queens. Rutgers, we already talked about. We talked about Army UMass. Sacred Heart and Merrimack, no idea. Let's go with Merrimack in that one. 
Uh, yeah, Denver is going to beat up on Air Force. I'm pretty certain Navy is going to beat up on Hofstra, albeit Hofstra has a couple of dudes that can fill fill it up here and put goals in the back of the net. Mount St. Mary's, I think Towson will take the Mount. I think that, let's pick Colgate. I think Colgate's going to take Hobart. I didn't talk about that. And I think Bellarmine will, in fact, beat St. Bonaventure potentially by three or four goals or so. So that's what we are going to talk about. Again, I'm pumped about the Syracuse game coming Friday night. It is going to be weird having Syracuse be 3-0, and and I think they'll be the first team that will have played three games come Friday. So that's cool. That is a, an anomaly for us Cuse fans. We're used to not playing or even playing the first week, but then just playing one game, one game, one game for like the first four or five weeks of the season before they start getting into Tuesday, Sundays, and mixing it up here, here a little bit. So that's going to be a big game, but I still think the game of the weekend here is going to be Hopkins. Georgetown's going to be monstrous. Maryland Loyola is going to be a huge one. Virginia Michigan's going to be a huge one until it's not. That Penn State Villanova, don't front on that one. Rutgers Stony Brook. So there are, at first I was kind of looking through the list as I was prepping yesterday, and I was thinking, man, there's not a whole lot of good games on this weekend, but I take that back now. And I think in hindsight, there's a lot of games that have the potential of being very good this weekend. Uh, it's just hopefully Cuse uh, Manhattan is not one of them and hopefully Cuse rolls. So that's it. I am done rambling. I've hit my, uh, almost my 30 minute mark. So as always be sure to visit laxfactor.com. You can go to laxfactor.com. You can get yourself a dope beer mug. You can also go to laxfactor.com and get yourself some dope t-shirts like the club lacrosse all-star t-shirt. You can get a t-shirt from, uh, it's actually a, a team that I used to play on. We had a team locally here called the garden gnomes. So we brought that back or I brought that back and made a logo for it. So that we could sell that t-shirt. I haven't sold one yet, oddly enough. So who's going to be the first person to buy a Garden Gnomes t-shirt? I have sold a handful of these bad boys, the Club Lacrosse All-Star t-shirt. And then, as always, you can just get the Lax Factor podcast t-shirt if you want to be a real sicko. So, like I said, go to laxfactor.com. You can support us that way. You can also watch all the videos. All the videos get posted here with a little bit of a write-up here. We've got film reviews. We've got uh, you know the poll. I'm keeping the poll as I'm going. So this is probably the way I'll vote depending on how this weekend goes. Or no, this is how I voted, I think. Actually, the poll did not get updated. Oddly enough, I updated this page. The cache didn't clear. So this will be updated by the time you guys all see this. But I do have it updated in real time, considering like even with Syracuse at 2-0 and Hopkins at 2-0. So I have changed this away from what my initial poll was from a season ago. So, all right, that is it. Like I said, I will eventually get these player rankings posted uh, to laxfactor.com. I'm just kind of holding off until we get this weekend of games in because I know what will happen if I put them up today. People are going to see two dudes from Hofstra, a guy from New Jersey Tech, a guy from Sacred Heart, and a guy from Cleveland State at the top of the list and be like, what the fuck is this, bro? This is trash. And it's like, man, what are you going to do? Freaking Rory Jones has eight goals, one assist. Look, look at his numbers here. Eight goals, one assist. He shot the rock at a 53.3% clip. He had a ga- the game-winning goal technically, had a ground ball, had one turnover and a cause turnover. So, I mean, that is a hell of a stat line. Arthur Miller from New Jersey Tech, five goals, shot the ball at 71%, had five ground balls and uh, no turnovers and a cause turnover. So, I mean, it's like these dudes put up monster numbers in their first weekends, and that's why they're at the top. So I'll get those up come Sunday after I have all the new stats in. So we'll actually have, you know, some of these guys will have two games in. Everybody will at least have one. So it'll it'll, it'll create an interesting mix here. And uh, that's it. That is it. I'm going to shut the hell up. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Be sure to come back Sunday morning. I will 
try my damnedest to live stream at 10 a.m., but I will not miss Sunday's show because I'm staying home watching lacrosse all day Saturday and will prep. I honestly, going to games is the worst thing for me. It's the worst thing I can do because if I go to a game, like I'm at that game at the Dome, I only got to watch a little bit of lacrosse before I left. We get there at four. By the time I get home, I'm six beers, six pints deep of a really powerful IPA. And there was just no chance between the Saturday, Sunday morning hangover. And and traditionally, I might have even woke up and wrote the show Sunday morning, but I was feeling like shit Sunday morning. So I think I'm not going to go to games. I think uh, I'll go to weekday games uh, once Syracuse starts playing those again. As I said, I'm going to hit that Cornell game, but I probably will not be hitting another Saturday lacrosse game because it really fucks up my Sunday podcast. And I don't want to do that to y'all. So that's it. Come back Saturday morning, 10 a.m., first live-streamed Sunday show. We're going to try to make it the you know the sports center uh, for college across because it'll be first thing there Sunday morning, and it'll be live this weekend. So come back. We'll be ready to rock, and uh, that's it. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, and Hoost is out. The Lapse Factor Podcast.